Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Randy, how's it going? Hey, Jake, I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, so, a little news, I just pulled the trigger for Virginia. I bought the tickets last night. So I'm No! <laughs> oh, my God, that is awesome news. I knew that you were on the fence, so awesome. Yeah, yeah I can't wait. Um, so, yeah. I'm really excited about this episode, so why don't we just jump right into it. Um, joining us today, Jeff Felberbaum. Uh, who was recently inducted into the Freestyle Frisbee Hall of Fame. He's a part of the uh, the initial inductee class, and he is also the winner of the 1979 and 1981 Rose Bowls. Uh, so welcome to the show, Jeff. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for having me here. Thanks, Randy. You bet. You bet. It's really a pleasure and an honor to get to to speak with you because, you know, really our paths have not crossed very much at all. Um, I maybe have had maybe a handful of conversations that were probably not more than 30 seconds, but so it's going to be fun for me to go on this journey with you today and uh, get to know you better. So I'm looking forward to that. Thank you. The, the honor is really mine. So let's start with the question. Uh, so I'm curious, how did Frisbee initially come into your life? The official story is one thing, because that's really the one that I tell most people, but then I, I have to back up because uh, I think my final year in high school, which was 1977, or maybe it was 76. That 77 was my final year there. But um, I think, no, it must have been before because I went to my first tournament in 1976, which was Octet. That's why I, I they were able to stick me in the Hall of Fame besides the fact that they wanted to because it's a 40-year. I think you have to be have gone to your first tournament 40 years ago, which is Ain't that ain't that a kick in the head? I mean, I looked I look younger than I am, but it's hard to believe that it was 40 years ago. What happened though? That my two buddies I used to hang out with in junior high school, uh, walking down the street in my neighborhood, which was a couple of blocks from where Joey Hudaklin lived. I, we lived near each other without knowing each other for quite some time, which is kind of funny, but. So I'm walking down the street with these guys, and I had just gotten a master frisbee. I don't know why, and we were chucking it around, trying to chuck it around, trying to be cool. I threw that thing right up on the roof. It was a like a second story roof, and that was it. You know, we had it for about 15, 20 minutes, and boink, there it was. It was gone. No way to get it down. And I, as far as I know, the the plastic, the, the master is still there. Uh, the the second one was that I was at this party in junior high school. Cray Van Sickle was there because he we we went to the same high school, junior high school. Excuse me, this is an alternative junior high school in New York City called the Clinton Program, and somehow I convinced Cray to let me play with him. Now I didn't really, I knew he could. I don't even know if I knew that he could play frisbee back then, but he was like already nine hundred time world junior champion or something. He was, you know, he was he was hot stuff and. Somehow I ended up playing with him outside and I couldn't throw it to him straight and I, you know, I couldn't throw it at all really. And he played with me for about two minutes and then he was like, oh, thank you, uh, whatever. <laughs> so I, that was my second Frisbee story, of, you know, when I, fr Frisbee entering my life was with Cray and 
So, um, but then the third time, which is the most fun story, really, is that I was in high school, the High School of Art and Design on 57th Street and 2nd Avenue in New York City. And I was, you know, I hated school. Um, class was pretty much done. And we had a few minutes before the bell. And I was looking out the window at the High School of Art and Design. It, it, adjoined, it was adjacent to or connected to this elementary school. The roof of the elementary school was covered with like this rubberized, these rubber tiles, and there was a big fence up there and so that we couldn't fall off. But um, I was looking out the window and I saw these two guys throwing a Frisbee back and forth. The only thing is they were not throwing it back and forth exactly. And this, remember, this is a top view. I was like on the sixth floor looking down at the second floor. And I saw these two guys, they would throw it and it would go off to the side and hit the ground and then come back to the other guy. It, and I, it was making a triangle. There were two straight lines and something was happening and it was hitting something and then it was going back to the other guy. And I saw that and that was it. Howard, uh, Howard Takeoff, best overhand wrist flip in New York City, perhaps uh, at the time, this is 1975, 1976, except maybe... Kerry Colmar, uh, his buddy, David Bernhardt, guy who I'm in touch with today, still today. And they were, David was throwing sidearm and Howard was throwing a wrist flip and they were bouncing the thing. They were doing skips. Wow. They would throw skips and it was skipping and going to the other guy. And I saw that and that was it. After that, something yanked me and pulled me and I didn't do anything else. And here are we, here we are talking. That was it. Oh, no, no, no. It's not the end of the story. Excuse me. At the end of class, <laughs> the end of class, I ran down there and there's all these people playing Frisbee. And I'm like, can I do it? Can I throw it? Can I throw it? They're like, sure. They gave it to me. I threw it over the fence and off the roof and down into the street. Um, that's the other end of the throwing it up onto the roof story. Only this time, I climbed over the fence, went to the edge of the building, yelled down to somebody, threw it, they threw it back up to me, and luckily, I got it back and gave it back to the guys across and kept going. And that, and that afternoon, and then they said, I said, what, what can I do? How can I do this? And my buddy, Paul Thomas, said, there's a bunch of people after school that get together in Washington Square Park, and they play all afternoon and all night, and you can just go, and, and that was it. And I went, it was like, being reborn and ending up in the promised land. That was it. Wow. That was it. That's great. For, great. Yeah. Now I, I remember the first time I, I, first time I stayed out till four in the morning, I was 16 or something like that. I come home. My dad was waiting up for me or he'd snoozed a little bit, but there he was. Light was on. His newspaper was on his face. He looks at me. He says, where, where have you been? And I said, I was in the park playing Frisbee. He looks at me and he's like, uh, huh, right. Sure. But, that's Play what I was lights. doing. We played uh, under these lights in a volleyball court area where there was benches. We'd play anywhere, but, um, you know, we played. In, it was dark all around us, but there was this area that was lit up. And the, Rob Free talks about a lot about, uh, the, you know, these jams with, with Joey um, at that spot, uh, you know, much later, much later on. But, but we just, you know, we would stand – we would stand 20, 30 yards apart in, in the circle around the fountain in Washington Square and throw it at each other as hard as we could. It wasn't guts. It was just like, you know, throwing and hard and fun and fast and big groups. And it, it was crazy. It was crazy. 
So did you call it freestyle at the time, or was it something? No, something? no. We were just we were playing frisbee, and and we we were th- we wouldn't didn't even, didn't even call it playing. We we would say, yeah, we're we're playing frisbee, or or we're throwing. You want to throw? You want to toss? There was no freestyle. Yeah, it was intense. It was an intense scene. Yeah. Who coined the name Washington Square Wizards, and what was it like being part of that scene? Uh, it may have been. Me, it may have been Joey, it may have been John Dwork. Uh, I have no clue. I don't remember. Uh, we started, you know, I started making, I made a couple of t-shirts and this woman uh, that I went to school with, uh, Art and Design, uh, made this pretty cool t-shirt that Joey and Richie wore. They went to the first Rose Bowl that they went to in 77. I think they had it with them then. And I, I can't, I really don't know. I, I did a fair amount of promotion for that word and that for for those words and for the name of the group, um, and I actually held maybe our one and only meeting as a group um, in my apartment when I was you know sixteen or seventeen or something in the, in the West Village, and we were all there, and um, <laughs> so you know being part of it, uh, there was a lot to be a part of. So, how many people were there? Like, was it ten? 15? How big was your group? There was, you know, a bunch of people that were, there were people that were more focused, you know, that were more serious about it, who were really led by Joey and Richie because they were the most um, successful initially. You know, when I went to my first tournament, 1976, didn't make it out of the prelims uh, and those, and they were in the finals. You know, they were, they were successful. And so, right. We had, there was a core group of people that were serious, and then there was a core group of people that just, they loved to play, and they, they were always there. And, and so, you know, and that, as the sport, as we got more serious, and there was more distance between the, the players that were, you know, into quote-unquote freestyle and the quote-unquote sport, there was more distance between us and the, the, the recreational players they just sort of watched at that point and there was right. less participation by the, by that, by that group. Um, they faded into the distance a little bit for me. And then there was, there was the serious scene moved mostly up to central park, but there was still, we were still really training a lot in the village. You know, I think that one of the things about it that was interesting was that the surface that we used to practice on was, was this slate like, uh, stone circled the the circle of the fountain that we all played around. We were always playing on concrete, and and it you know it's a lot easier to spin, a lot easier to do pirouettes. Um, spinning is one thing, but pirouettes is another thing, right? So, you know, it's hard to pirouette on grass, and it's a lot easier to pirouette on um, a smooth surface like that. <laughs> Not so great for your knees and your back, but. Um, but but we really got used to doing that, and uh, so that that was something that probably influenced our you know once it became freestyle that that part of the game. Well, you know what's kind of wild here is that I actually have Joey Hudaklin on chat right now. Oh, <laughs> you know? come on, and really? So, so he, yeah, I'm not kidding. And so I'm saying, hey, we're talking to Jeff right now. Here's Joey's question to you, Jeff. I know he learned counter first. Which one does he like better? I like him better for different things because um i'm not as skilled with i'm not as skilled with clock at all i mean i'm not my game i'm not on my game now anyway but but um i'm not as skilled with clock but i would use 
what's the word, fully functional with both spins, both hands, I would specialize in doing certain pulls or whatever. Uh, you know, like for, for example, my signature of a signature uh, flamingitis or gitis, no, it was a flamingitis, was the one that I did in the Rose Bowl in 79. And I don't know, I do like a one, like a 360 set under my left leg with to the right and then do a flamingo pull under my right leg with my right hand and then stand up as the disc was processing around and then jump, shove the disc under my left leg with my right hand and, and you know, jump in the air and catch it with the flamingitis with my left hand behind my right leg. That's the cover of Frisbee World that I got was me doing that move. I would never, ever, ever, ever do that with left spin going in the other direction. Never, never see it. Still to this day would never happen. And meanwhile, my pinwheel that I stole from Jens, although I didn't steal it because he didn't do it the way I did it. He did it on his <laughs> off. He, no, I didn't do it the way he did it. He didn't do it the way I did And he did it first. Incredible, incredible, incredible catch, right? He did it off the, he would do it off the freaking throw. And I could never do that. And I would pull it out under my left, under my right leg with my left hand, throw it up in the air. And if I was lucky, turn around. I don't think I was even doing that with a spin, but no, I would just pull it out under my right leg, put it as high as I could, and then fly over it or pinwheel and grab it under my right leg with my left hand. Uh, but I would never in a trillion years do that in the other direction with right spin. So I always did certain moves uh, cert with, with whatever hand and that I could control that spin with best. And I was never a technical expert. I was just a performer, <laughs> really. <laughs> and you were good. You were good. I wouldn't, well, wouldn't poo-poo that. You were a joy to well, watch, Jeff. And uh, I appreciate, nice that we I have you on video. That. I appreciate that. And I, you know, I was just trying to, th I was thinking about this interview and I was, you know, how, how really, you know, I had this couple of things to say, you know, about it, but th that I, I was just lucky to be able to accomplish what I did. Uh, but it, for me, it was always, I mean, there was a fascination with the disc, but close to that. And what really overcame that for me uh, was, and it's why I never really got any a lot better, I think, is that what I, what ha I got hooked on the attention and the uh, appreciation that I got from other people because I really didn't like myself very much. And so I, I had to, I had to do well at this thing that was getting me um, strokes. And so it stunted my growth as a, as a player, but it never, which obviously impacted my ability as a performer. Um, but I was much more interested in performing, but for the wrong reasons. You know, some of them were right, but most of them were wrong, which is why I have taken the 30-year hiatus. <laughs> uh, well, I was just, I, I would think the opposite would be true if you're craving the attention that it would drive you to practice more and get better. So. Well, I didn't, that's the thing. That's the thing. I, um, it just, for me, I was able, I was always, able, you know, so this, let's just decide guys, you, you, we could do a reverse Dr. Phil here because you know, that's kind of who I am. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. My name isn't Phil, but I'm like, you know, this kind of human potential guy. Right. And back then I was just a miserable son of a bleep. Um, and I happened to be good at good enough at Frisbee 
to uh, to be successful at it. And that's probably because, you know, you got to it's if, if it's a small pond, it's not hard to be a big fish. You know, if you got a big mouth and you got a you got a you know, I shouldn't say it's not hard, but because it, it sure it's hard, but but it's a lot easier to be successful in a small pond if you can grow yourself as a big fish, right? So, you know, you didn't see me in the Olympics and anything. You didn't see me in professional basketball or baseball or tennis or anything, you know, where, where there was hundreds of thousands of people that I, had to, that I had to be better than, right? I just had to be better than a few guys. And actually... I didn't even have to be better than a few guys. I just had to, had to have a better day. And I, I was really good at having a better day because I needed it. And I, it, you know, it's what I lived for. So is that why you stopped playing is because <laughs> that, that feeling good was good at that moment. And then it went to, wait a second, this is not a healthy approach that I'm taking. I need to check out. Is that what happened? I wish I had been that intelligent. I wish I had been able to say it that way. But what happened to me was I uh, one when Donnie and uh, and Alan and I um, had our first place finish in 1981. You know, the moment I walked after walk the moment after we finished, um, I was one of the lowest times for me in my life because I was miserable. I was completely miserable, and here I was at the sort of the top of what any of us were trying to accomplish. So quote unquote the top, but inside I was, I was empty. And, um, so it took me some decades to, uh, to fill that emptiness. And, and, um, so, uh, and I'm back and it's, but I'm back for different reasons and with a different mission and, you know, I'm 57. So <laughs> I'm not, I'm not looking to, uh, I'm not looking to be the, um, quite the same uh, performer that I used to be, but I am, uh, I am uh, not empty. That's a whole other conversation. So did you stop playing like after that Rose Bowl experience or was there a transition period out of it? I kept, I kept playing. I know to a certain degree and I then got drafted by Craven Sickle to participate in his uh, disc dance project. And this was by like, this was 82, 83, because I started getting involved in some personal growth stuff that really cha- started to change things for me. And I was able to kind of become re-inspired in the world in a different way. I didn't have all the pieces together and it was very difficult for me still. So I lit into this thing with Cray that that was, that was really amazing to really focus on what I did best, which was to perform and to do a couple of things uh, really well. And I didn't need to be the virtuoso that people like Joey and Donnie um, and many, many other people, really. I'm just, I'm just an old guy with a terrible memory, so I don't remember. But you know, I never had to be uh, that virtuoso because, first of all, I couldn't. And second of all, I got the opportunity to do this work with Cray where, you know, it was, it wasn't about long combinations. It was do something that was spectacular 
and interesting to watch and artistic and quick and to have it be visually and emotionally and aesthetically pleasing versus like performance versus sport competition, right? Like when you're, if you're doing like a, a show of some sort, the people that are watching you for entertainment purposes are not judging you on, are you doing something against the spin or was that, you know, how many times did you do this? Or They just, does it look good? Is it cool to, to see? Is it, does it touch me in my heart somehow? Does it move me? And, uh, you know, I was really into that because if somebody, if, if I could do that and somebody liked what I did, they, was gonna, they were going to cheer or clap. And that made me feel good about myself. So I had a chance to do those things. But it was really hard work, really. And I wasn't cut out for it. So it didn't last that long. Well, that was a really fascinating conversation with Jeff and uh, very intrigued by Cray's disc dance experience. And what's great is that Jeff actually dives into the topic much more. And you'll hear that in our next episode with him. Yeah, totally. I'd never heard of disc dance before, so it's cool to have somebody share the history of that. Uh, so before we exit, I just want to remind everybody, you can go up to frisbeeguru.com and subscribe to our newsletter. Just put your email address in the upper right-hand corner. Uh, and we also have a donate button. Um, putting this podcast on and running the website's not free, so anything you can do to help would be great. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Randy. Hi. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check out our website at frisbees.com.